0: Welcome to Commerce Growth Lab, the community for commerce strategies and tactics. I'm your host, Franco Variano. This season, the podcast focuses on speaking with some of the most interesting and successful trendsetters, entrepreneurs, and leaders in commerce. Together, we'll dive into their unique stories, experience their highs and lows, and gain from their insights and experiences as they continue to shape this industry.
1: do the things that are hard, invest in the things that are hard, because those are the things that can't
0: be replicated. Today, we're chatting with Craig Dalton, the CEO and co-founder of DodoCase, one of the most iconic e-commerce brands and makers of premium iPhone and iPad cases. Craig shares what it was like leaving the corporate world to start his first e-commerce and manufacturing company, DodoCase, in 2010. He and his co-founder timed their launch with the release of the first iPad, baking the enthusiasm and excitement of Apple fans into their own product DNA and culture. Craig joins us to share his story, what it was like building DodoCase, what he's working on today with DodoCase VR, and much more. So let's get started. Hey Craig, thanks so much for being on the show today.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's my pleasure. Super excited to have you on the show to talk to us about your experience building businesses, the first being DodoCase and now with DodoCase VR. But before we get into that, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Where are you from and what did you study?
1: Yeah, you bet. So I grew up on the East Coast with English parents. I lived in New Jersey and Massachusetts, and I went to school undergrad at American University in Washington, D.C., where I studied international business and French. And then much later, went to the UC Irvine Graduate School of Management, where I earned
0: the MBA. That's really cool. And so can you talk to us a little bit more about your career in, in business before you started and launched Dodo Case? What were you focused on and what were some of the lessons that you learned from this phase of your career? I actually
1: have a rather interesting journey into
0: business. While
1: I pursued a business degree, I also began bike racing in college. And in my early 20s, I focused my energy on bike racing and working in the bike industry. So I worked for a number of small businesses while racing domestically in the United States, primarily mountain bikes. What I learned in those early years, I think is something that served me super well in the Dodo case experience was that it was really easy to make the perception of having a big business if you focused energy on how you presented the brand, and how you spoke to customers. So a real salient example of that. So I worked for a company called Dean Titanium. It was my first job out of college. And I remember speaking to them for a good six months on the phone. I had seen their ads in magazines for a number of years and was speaking to them on the phone saying, I'm graduating college, I'm really interested in moving to Colorado and working in the bike industry. And I had this perception that they were maybe a 10 person company and uh, moved out to Colorado to pursue bike racing and eventually convinced them to let me interview. And I go to an office and there's five guys there. And I was like, that's a little bit smaller than I thought it was. End up getting the job as a sales manager for the business and came to learn that the entire time I was calling them from the East Coast, they were actually working out of a guy's house. And when the phone rang in the garage and the business guy needed to speak, he was inside the house. The guy in the garage would hit the ceiling with a broom and let the other guy know there was a telephone call. <laughs> and I, I honestly, I this was one of the premier titanium frame builders of that era. And I had no idea. And it's simply because they recognized in order to create confidence in the brand The aesthetic of the brand, the way it was presented in the in the marketing that they were doing needed to be strong. And the way they presented themselves on the phone needed to seem like they had more people involved. So it's a really interesting lesson to learn right out of college that you can really shape people's perception of what it's like doing business with a company simply by how you present yourself.
0: What a great story and way to articulate what building a business is all about. And so after that, what were some of the other things you did before diving into entrepreneurship?
1: Yeah, so I I ended up going back to school and getting an MBA after I hung up my cycling shoes. And when I
0: graduated,
1: I worked for a company that was very early on in the SMS messaging space. So this was back before anybody understood what text messaging could do. The carriers were barely interconnected. So if you were on Verizon, you couldn't send an SMS to someone on Sprint or AT&T. And we came in and we helped connect all the carriers, but we did it from a a marketing perspective. So we were working with brands and advertisers who wanted to explore how to use SMS in their marketing. So we were the first company in the US to develop TV to SMS technology. You might recall 15 years ago or so, when you first were starting to to be able to vote for like American Idol or some sports activity via SMS. The company I was working for created the backend systems that communicated with the wireless operators that enabled you to text A as your favorite singer and get a response back from a database saying, your vote's been tabulated, et cetera. From there, stayed pretty squarely in the mobile space and, and went on to work for a mobile gaming company that was UK based. And I was there in the really early days of Java gaming that ultimately morphed into Apple iOS games. So my history was in the mobile industry and generally focused on understanding how new technologies were going to be introduced to the mass market and helping larger companies kind of pursue those new technologies in a way that allowed them to roll out slowly as consumer adoption occurred. My arrival at Dodo case was basically with you know eight or ten years of that experience in the background. I had lived through the impact of Apple's original iPhone launch and came to understand that the iPad launch was going to create a whole new sort of realm of possibilities to form a company around. My business partner Patrick Buckley came up with the idea for the Dodo case. And the basic idea was that as people moved away from ink and paper and started consuming content on iPads and iPhones, the simple pleasure of holding a hardback book was theoretically going to disappear. And also the art of bookbinding was simply going to disappear.
0: So it was really those two concepts that motivated the creation of DodoCase? Exactly.
1: And then when we, when we looked at the creation of the product, being in the Bay Area, there was a rich bookbinding tradition in the Bay Area. So there were still a handful of bookbinders that had survived first outsourcing and, and later the internet. And we went around to those bookbinderies and we said, hey, here's the concept. We, we need a, a book built using traditional bookbinding techniques in this shape. And you know, of the six or seven outlets that were available to us at that point, I think six of the seven laughed at us. And the seventh basically said if your money's green, I'm happy to make you whatever you want. So so, uh, we found a great partner before the iPad launched to make the exterior. And then our our concept for the interior was that we were going to mill a bamboo tray that would hold the device in place. We felt like bamboo was this great, renewable, organic material that we could use. And aesthetically, the striations of the wood
0: kind of made it look like a book.
1: So it, it created a very compelling total package, if you will, as a product.
0: That's super cool. So besides having the desire and motivation to keep those skills and traditions alive, what was it like really diving in entrepreneurship and deciding that this is the business we need to build? Did you know anything about e-commerce or manufacturing?
1: Not a lot, to be honest with you. Uh, I never really sold over the internet in any meaningful way, and, and nor had my business partner. If you think about it, tackling the Dodo Case project, we really had our hands full because we were both learning how to physically manufacture a product in San Francisco, so design and manufacture, as well as building out this e-commerce business. And this is where my, my partnership with Patrick Buckley comes into play, in that we both had different skill sets. Patrick was very hands-on, mechanical engineer from MIT, really had the ability to kind of power through the, the product design process and work with our local partners here in San Francisco to create the physical product. While I was brought on board to kind of work on that that e-commerce side of the business and the finance side and kind of just making sure all the business systems and the basic structure of the business was in place. So when we launched in April of 2010, we had one single prototype product made. We had never actually held an iPad. We hacked together a Shopify website that instead of going to a homepage where you'd normally land someone... We landed them directly on the product page, we told them the five attributes of the product that were important, and we gave them a buy button. There was really no other options. And we, we launched the day the iPad launched, and we had gone out on Craigslist, and in 10 different markets, we had put an ad up that basically said, hey, if you're looking to have fun at Apple's iPad launch... Keep in mind, like the iPhone had gone through a couple generations. So people knew that if you were an Apple fanboy, these were fun, almost festival-like environments to be in. So we were leaning into that notion. We basically said, hey, here's our product. We're made using traditional bookbinding techniques in San Francisco by hand. We'd love for you to hand out coupons for us. And if any of those coupons translate into a sale, we'll pay you a commission after the fact. And so we managed, believe it or not, with that basic skeleton of an offer to get 10 people in 10 different major market cities in the United States to go out and stand in line while people were lined up for their iPads and just hand out a basic flyer and talk to people.
0: That's amazing. And you spoke to a few of the challenges in the early days of e-commerce, but what was it really like growing the brand name in the months that followed this first iPad launch?
1: One of the things we often talk about is the critical importance that Apple played in our launch strategy. Apple launches in those years were built-in marketing activations. And you you really can't find that in any other community, that sort of density of enthusiasm around a product. So it really played into our favor. And our, our strategy was that we had a good understanding of Twitter and Facebook back then. And we knew we wanted to be very transparent as a business, and we knew we had something very unique. So if you think about the case market in general. They were generally products that were made offshore with customers having very little understanding of the backstory or the artisans that were making these products. So we really leaned into that in the early days. And because of the scale or challenges in scale we had in manufacturing in San Francisco, we always had a backlog of orders. So an interesting thing happened back in 2010 was that the scarcity or the difficult time that people were having getting our product meant that people were tweeting or posting on Facebook about our product more so than they would had if we had sent it to them immediately. We had customers triangulating on their own publicly and on mass, where we were order number wise to try to get a sense for when their order would come out. Because we were sort of exponentially improving our manufacturing skills, we had this six week window where we said, We're going to ship your product to you within six weeks. And we got very, we got all the way to the end of that six week window at one point and then started drawing it back. But customers would triangulate and they'd say, Oh, order number one, two, three, four, five is shipped. Therefore, you know, my subsequent order should be coming out soon. And it was amazing to see people tweeting about that stuff. So we would get two or three tweets out of people. And I don't think you get that kind of enthusiasm anymore, partly because of where we are in the world of e-commerce at this, at this point in 2018, and uh, partly just because of the sort of scarcity and enthusiasm of our product back then.
0: Absolutely. And going a bit deeper on that, while circling back to one of the first points you made about creating the perception of a bigger company, what else did the small Dodo case team do to create that customer affinity for the product and brand in those early days?
1: I think one of the the biggest things that we did back then, and this was probably in the second month of our existence, was we hired a freelance branding consultant to help codify the Dodo Case brand. We recognized that we had chosen a great name and we had a great story behind it, but our logo and wordmark were not scalable in multiple directions, meaning they weren't going to work well on the web and on t-shirts and on the product. And we really needed to codify that. So we engaged with someone and we went through a process. We talked about our influences and brands that we admired that helped kind of codify what we were doing. And the gentleman created a mood board and we kind of continued to narrow down on how we wanted to present Dodo Case. So we ended up at the end of that exercise with... Our logo, our word mark, and a brand encyclopedia that defined how we were going to represent ourselves via colors and words and shapes ever forward. And I think that, that really helped us with that consistent brand story. And the messaging just kind of infiltrated everything that we did. So it was a re- it it was and had been for you know our entire existence a very much like a, a guiding document as to how we were going to present
0: ourselves. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And obviously, the results of that exercise did carry itself through to the brand and product very well. So while that was happening, you've also made reference to the e-commerce landscape and some of the challenges the Dodo Case brand faced on that front as it was taking off. So what were some of those challenges that the brand needed to overcome?
1: Yeah, For us, as you hit it, the Apple device lifecycle was something that was going to be omnipresent for us in the first few years. It was great because everybody tended to update their iPads and as we grew our brand awareness, when it came time for you to buy your iPad 2 and your iPad 3, it just went more and more customers were entering the market. We knew our brand being a premium brand and the price point of the product that we were really best suited towards early adopters and creatives that really took a lot of pride in the products they used. The nice thing about that demographic was that they tended to to share and they tended to be very vocal about their decisions, whether it's on social media or otherwise. As Apple began to three or four years in, we definitely saw the type of customer that was entering the iPad market to become more mass market. And those decisions for purchasing cases started to become happening in mass retailers, whether it was at the Apple store or Best Buy, wherever people were buying their iPads, they were tending to purchase cases. So it became more and more challenging for us to differentiate ourselves. And one of the things that we had been progressing towards over the first couple of years was this this notion of customization. It started for us in allowing people to monogram their cases, which generally makes people more connected with the product they're buying when they're monogramming it. And later we allowed for full customization of the iPad. So the exterior and the interior and the elastic strap. You could choose all those colors or patterns yourself. And it really led to an incredible variety of products getting made in our workshop. And it necessitated an understanding that a craftsman was making the product. So if you think about it, if you buy a black, case, you don't really think like some person actually made that. But if you chose orange on the outside and pink on the inside and a yellow elastic, you knew someone must have made that by hand because that color combination you would never see out there in the world. So it really helped bring people back to that brand story, that idea of this product being handcrafted in San Francisco. And that that served us well to, again, continue to carve out a niche with the people who are passionate about what their iPad was being held in.
0: Wow, that's really cool. There are a lot of lessons in there, and I think there's still a ton of takeaways for today's e-commerce entrepreneurs and brands that are being built right now.
1: Yeah, I think that the one salient takeaway is if you do what's hard and it's a great offering, you're going to have a market because at the, at the mass level, doing things like customization and co-creation is simply not possible. So I definitely encourage people, particularly if they have control over their own manufacturing, to do the things that are hard, invest in the things that are hard, because those are the things that can't be replicated. And even if you you know, do get to scale with your business and have potentially a lower end product line that's made offshore, keeping that high end product line that's more expensive to produce, but has more brand affinity is going to serve you well in your overall positioning.
0: Absolutely. And so Dodo Case launched in 2010. Four years in, the business took a bit of a turn into VR with the introduction of Dodo Case VR. So can you tell us more about that shift in focus and what the vision behind all this you know, was about?
1: So four years into the business, we had recognized, and actually earlier than that, we had recognized that the iPad as a device, in our estimation from day one, was going to have approximately a seven-year life cycle. And about four years in, we were going to start to see a decline. So as a business, it was going to be important for us to diversify. And our first level of diversification was working with cases for iPhones. We also had a stitchery. so we did some leather craft products like wallets and sunglass holders and keychains and various other things that sort of lent themselves to being manufactured by hand. But we saw that the decline in iPad sales was not going to be made up for in those accessory products. So in the beginning of the year in in 2014, we took stock of who we were as a company and developed a plan to test several different concepts that might enable us to utilize both our manufacturing facility in San Francisco, as well as the core Dodo case team and develop a new revenue stream. And we actually attempted two projects that, that year. One was heavily pre-planned and the other was more opportunistic. So the pre-planned activity was to start a site called Good Groomsmen, which was going to be a premium site for groomsmen gifts. And the notion was that groomsman gifts, when you're searching for them, you usually end up on a site that you don't feel that great about so you might buy a, a flask or a tie holder for your friends but it really didn't feel like it signified that bond of friendship that your groomsmen usually have with you so we, we launched that site a little bit late in the wedding planning year and got it off the ground and felt pretty good about it but it failed to get the traction that we were looking for the second thing that we did that year because we had been a, a partner with Google doing cases for Nexus phones and tablets, at the Google I.O. conference, they announced Google Cardboard, which was a cardboard virtual reality viewer that you dropped your phone into, had two lenses, bi-convex lenses, and running certain 360 video or virtual reality applications, you could have a VR experience on the mobile phone in your pocket, as opposed to having a 15... $100 Oculus Rift or HTC Vive setup connected to a home computer. This was an entirely opportunistic endeavor for us. We basically saw that this Google Cardboard exercise at this conference was sucking all the oxygen. So no matter what else they announced at that conference, people were talking about how cool was it to put your phone in this cardboard box and have this rad experience. So what we did is we we put up a product page And we basically said, hey, world, if you weren't one of the people at that conference who got one of these free VR viewers and you want to buy it, we'll make it for you. Much like our experience with the iPad, we knew that timing was everything. We knew that we couldn't wait. So we put up that web page, we started taking orders, and then we figured out how to build it later.
0: Wow, that's amazing. So how quickly did you go from being at the conference to taking pre-orders on that landing page?
1: Uh, Four hours.
0: Wow, that's incredible.
1: So, I mean, effectively, we we built a product page on the dotacase.com site. Then we went out to, we both went down to people we knew at Google, and we went out to all the bloggers who were covering Google Cardboard at the time and just said, hey, you've got people excited reading about this. Let's give them a path to buying it. And Google ended up putting us in their keynote address the next day which gave us a ton of awareness. We got a lot of blogs picking us up. And next thing you know, we've sold 15,000 of these things within the first six weeks. And we found ourselves squarely at the the onset of a new industry.
0: Very cool story. And so obviously strategic partnerships have been at the heart of the brand since day one, since you guys teamed up with the work with Google Cardboard program and thousands of other brands. While I'm certain that some of these were quite involved, at a high level, how do you approach creating strategic partnerships, especially four years ago when this type of technology was just emerging?
1: Yeah, What we saw with virtual reality, anytime we showed it to someone, we blew their minds. They loved it. They were super enthusiastic about it. But we also recognized back in 2014 that there wasn't a lot of content to keep people coming. So you, know, you buy a TV, you turn on the TV, you get a cable subscription, ton of content just a fire hose of content coming. With VR, that simply wasn't the case. But what we recognized was that that smile that people got when they first tried these VR headsets was something that a brand or advertiser was gonna benefit from hugely if they provided that first experience. So we went out and basically positioned ourselves as someone who figured out the supply chain logistics for how to custom brand virtual reality headsets. So if you were a brand like Porsche and you wanted the Porsche logo on one of these VR viewers, Dodo Case back in the beginning of 2014, or sorry, the end of 2014, the beginning of 2015, was one of the only games in town to be able to provide that service. So we had a couple of things going for us. One, we were the first member of the Works with Cardboard program. So we were endorsed as sort of a credible player that passed the quality standards that that Google had put in place in the world. And then two, because of the Dodo Case brand and our experience doing custom iPad cases for for brands and advertisers and corporations, we had a team in place that had really kind of the white glove service. So we knew that VR was this complicated thing that people were gonna be confused about. And we wanted them to know that we had their back. Like We were gonna handle all the logistics, any of the fulfillment. We were gonna make sure that everything was executed at a premium level, because we knew that that was gonna be critical. These people were gonna be coming to us where they were ad agency or a brand with very little experience. And we were aggregating the experience we had across all these brands to kind of make sure that we were their partner that can ensure the headsets were of premium quality, they were delivered on time, and we handled whatever logistics needed to be handled for them to execute their campaigns.
0: That's really cool. And so you've mentioned Porsche as an early partner. What other cool experiences or brand partnerships have you been able to launch over the years?
1: Yeah, there have been a ton. we worked with Tom's Shoes and AT&T to help Tom Shoes consumers see their giving program in real time. So they basically filmed some of the shoe giveaways they were doing in South America, and it enabled people to kind of consume that content. If you haven't tried VR yet, it's really amazing how immersive you can get in the content. You really feel like you're there. There's something very dramatic that happens when you're in a 360 degree video versus a, a 2D video. So it's really powerful when you're trying to emote what is going on and you wanted people to be emotionally connected with the content. So I like that project. We've done a ton of work in the automotive industry. We mentioned Porsche, but we've worked with Toyota and Lexus and Mercedes and I think pretty much all the major car manufacturers. And it's fairly natural when, when these guys have access to whether it's racetracks in Germany or driving experiences with professional drivers. It's just a really great way to kind of get in the car with people. And then finally, I'd I'd mention just sort of categorically, I'm super enthusiastic about what we've seen in the educational space. Teachers and educators are using VR to transport students around the world. And again, with that kind of emotional, immersive connection to content, I really believe that VR can help bring the world closer together because you can understand, you know, what is it like to be in a yurt in Mongolia? What is it like to be near the Eiffel Tower? What is it like to be on Mount Everest? All these things, if we can bring the world closer together, I think it's super positive and interesting from an educational perspective.
0: Yeah, the experiences in VR are absolutely mind-blowing. And it's incredible to think of how early stage all this tech still really is. Yeah.
1: Our business, you know, the premise was that, hey, if it's really early days on the consumer side, let's build out a a robust B2B virtual reality business while the consumer VR business kind of comes along more slowly. So in the background, we developed a viewer called Smart VR, which is the world's first premium pocket virtual reality viewer that works with Android or iOS. So it's a small size device. It's about the, the size of an iPhone Five that unfolds and you can slot any size phone in there and have a VR experience. So if someone sends you a clip or shares a 360 video with you, you can have this in your pocket and, or in your bag and use it whenever you want and put it away. Our focus has always been around short form content, so really snackable VR experiences, sort of one to three minutes. And we like that our our products are shareable. So if you if you have access to some VR content, you're sitting with a friend. Just hand it over to them, have them take a look, and then put it away. It's not the same as the home-based systems where you're really immersed with you know the VR goggles and you're typically in a longer form solo experience. We really see a world where that exists, but it's also complemented by these more snackable mobile VR experiences.
0: Absolutely. And so on that note, what was it like from a business perspective evolving from the traditional dodo case e-commerce product into the VR space? What were some of the skills or changes that you needed to make?
1: Yeah, so you know, Dodo Case had this very interesting mix, the traditional business. We had a manufacturing business, and then we also had our team that was focused on e-commerce, so transacting over, over the internet. The skills that were required in the B2B side of the virtual reality business were, were a little bit different than we, we had in place, particularly from a, a customer acquisition perspective. So whereas, you know, the Dodo Case model was really built around email marketing and social media and, and really getting our customers to become our advocates. With the B2B model, we really needed to develop a, a, an online funnel to attract customers and convert them via landing pages and, and ultimately our, our in-house team. So it both stretched the capabilities of our traditional team and kind of forced us to develop some of these new skill sets in in customer acquisition using SEO and AdWords and, and different other sort of tactics to try to make sure that when people were investigating the world of VR, they were coming to Dodo Case.
0: Yeah, it's really cool to hear about this transition. So, what's next for you in Dodo Case VR? An interesting thing for everybody listening
1: uh, that I wanted to share is that we were able to sell the traditional Dodo Case business at the end of 2017 in order to focus our energy on on DodoCase VR. I found personally that my enthusiasm has always been around new technologies and the VR business fit that quite naturally. So I'm excited to continue to position DodoCase VR as both the premium provider of custom branded virtual reality headsets, but also in the long term, our smart VR product as the product that consumers are gonna recognize that they need as soon as they, they get exposed to VR, as it's something that can be carried around with you. It's something that can utilize the phone that's already in your pocket, and it's something that doesn't have to be you know this expensive home-based VR that gets most of the press out there in the world.
0: That's really exciting. Congrats. I'm looking forward to seeing what you're able to achieve with this focus on Dodo Case VR.
1: Thanks. Yeah, it's gonna be exciting. I'm really excited about, about 2018 for VR and super pleased that the Dodo Case traditional brand is is continuing on. We found a a great partner that manufactures in the United States. He has moved the business to Texas, but he holds the same ethos that we did when we started Dodo Case. We wanted to have American craftsmen putting their hands and producing the products and building a genuine connection between the product that you receive and, and how it was manufactured. And it's, you know, it's, it's something we're very proud of, the fact that we are able to create this great brand and have it continue to be manufactured in the United States
0: going forward. Absolutely. It's very exciting. And so from a high level, what are some of the resources that you've used or keep coming back to that might be valuable to other entrepreneurs?
1: For me, a fundamental kind of building block of my understanding of entrepreneurship came from delivering happiness and sort of understanding how valuable treating your customers well can treat your business. I think it, it sort of sometimes get, gets overlooked that you want to be treated well every time you deal with a business. And if you do get treated well, you tend to talk about it. And that's super valuable, really inexpensive marketing. And then the, the second book I really like is, is Getting to Yes. And it's a book on negotiation. And while it's it's played a minor role in, in some of the things we've done at Dodo Case, I just think it's a great read. It talks a lot about game theory and different things that people are gonna be considering and helps you kind of get out of your own bias when talking to someone else and negotiating with them. So I really enjoyed that book. And then the last couple of years, I've had a commute and started listening to listen to podcasts a lot. And I think there's a lot of great entrepreneurship podcasts like this one that people should be listening to. I love uh, How I Built This, an NPR product, and then also one called The Build Cycle. And The Build Cycle focuses more on entrepreneurs in the adventure space, whether it's cycling or backpacking. Obviously, the stories are always, you're generating learnings across a lot of different areas. Because I'm an outdoor enthusiast, I I really tend to like hearing the stories behind Patagonia and different
0: outdoor brands that I love. Those are some great resources, and we'll make sure that we link to them in the show notes so that other people listening can check them out. Awesome. So I think we could keep chatting about this for hours, but do you have any final thoughts or words of advice to leave us with?
1: When I think about my own entrepreneurial experience, a remark about how hard it seemed, but how easy it was to get started with e-commerce, given all the tools that are available to us today. I think there was a lot of friction maybe 12 years ago, 15 years ago to getting started. But platforms like Shopify make the commerce side of things super easy. So even if you have no experience dealing with order management or anything like that, that part is something you shouldn't be intimidated about at all. So it really comes down to get a great product, be focused, and have great communication with your customers, and focus on building the the story from there. I'm very much excited about bootstrapped businesses. I think there's a lot people can do if they just get off the ground and start something. And you learn a lot along the way. We took a lot of lumps back in 2010 when we were figuring things out, but nothing was unrecoverable because we always put the customer first and we always sort of built a little buffer in in terms of our delivery schedules. And, uh, you know, it was a great experience doing what we did and continues to be a great experience, you know, continuing to build the Doto case business.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Great insights. Craig, thanks so much for taking the time to speak with us today. It was awesome to have you on the show.
1: Yeah, it's my pleasure. I had
0: a lot of fun. Thanks. Thanks for listening. Commerce Growth Lab is recorded and produced by me. There's no massive team behind it, and so I'd love your help in growing the show. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Tell a friend about the show or share a link on social media. You can find out more about the show, our guests, and everything commerce-related by visiting our site at www.commercegrowthlab.com. Follow us on Twitter at Com Lab, that's com with two Ms, or join the community on Facebook at Commerce Growth Lab. We couldn't do the show without your awesome support, so thanks for listening.